Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy in chapter 1. <clears throat> oh, yes, thank you for playing the piano for that. That's, I appreciate that. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1. Yes. Okay. Um, well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll just you're, you're no 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 uh, no graphics tonight. Sorry about that. My yeah. Hey, you know what? We actually have to do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so I will try. Honestly, I, I I try to do this whenever this happens. I try to repeat the the points. And and then also I, I try and repeat the references. So if if I go too fast, somebody do this, and and then I can repeat it for you. Okay. So First <clears throat> Timothy in chapter one. So the, Chris can fall asleep back there now. He doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> huh? Second Timothy chapter one. Okay. Yeah. Second Timothy chapter one. So, okay. Now I want to, I want to start off tonight by making a statement. I want to, I want you to tell me if this statement is true. Okay. You ready? Okay. Here's the statement. We have a constant enemy that fights against us every day. True. Okay. Now, how, how many of you honestly would agree with that statement? Okay, uh, I think it's pretty much unanimous. Okay. How would you answer that question? Who is that enemy? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Who is the enemy? One at a time. Okay, Satan. Okay, how many would agree that Satan is the enemy? Okay. <clears throat> how many would say there is another enemy? Okay, Jason. Okay, yourself. Okay, uh, who would say there is another enemy? Jason, the world. Okay, we have primarily we are in a battle, and we have primarily three enemies: Satan, the world, and ourselves. <clears throat> In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Well, that was fast. Man. <laughs> Good job, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, I don't know. Okay, seeking about whom he may devour. Now, now, <clears throat> I have bad news for you. Satan's goal is not to ruin your day. Okay, he's, he, his goal is not to make your life miserable. His goal is to destroy you. Whom he may devour. It's pretty total. See, Satan, Satan has very little interest in making your life miserable. He wants to devour you. 
And it's important we get this. The second one, the flesh. Let's talk about it. I have a quote here that my wife gave me, uh, what, just Thursday or Friday, I think. Um, Okay, well, okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Okay, how, how many of you know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Okay, uh, her husband was one of the missionaries killed in um, Ecuador uh, back in the 60s, 50s. Okay, uh, she said this The primary obstacle I face is myself, my laziness, preoccupation, worry, lack of concentration. I must deal with these in the strength of the Lord, but I am responsible to do what I am meant to do. He will help me, but he will not physically move me to the quiet place or to my knees. Did you get that? Her biggest enemy is herself. And I love what she says, but he will not physically move me to the quiet place or to my knees. We have to do that. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Give, give Chris a second here. He's back there typing away. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. The Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be con confounded. Therefore I have, uh, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 7. And then the third enemy that we face is the world. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what is a man... Uh, for, excuse me, for what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I don't know if you do what I do, but I, I will oftentimes turn on the news and I will listen to people, politicians, businessmen, doing things to make themselves rich. And it just breaks my heart. Because I have, some, I, have, I have news for you. Being rich has nothing to do with money. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? I started tonight with the statement of we have a constant enemy that fights against us every day. Tonight we're going to be talking about this. We've been doing a, a series uh, uh, for quite some time on the, the giants in our life. And tonight I want to talk about the giant of our culture. The giant of our culture. Facing the giant of our culture. I have heard people say, oh, just live and let live. Don't we, we, live, in a, we live in a society today that, that 
preaches at us that we need to be um, tolerant. That's the word. Thank you. We need to be tolerant. Oh, just live and let live. And as long as you agree with me, we're going to be okay. Isn't that what the world says? I, I've, heard, I've heard people say, um, you cannot raise godly children in, the, in this world today. Well, I, I have bad news for you. That, that's, a, that's a stupid statement. That, that statement is right out of the pit of hell because you can raise godly children today. But it's going to take you fighting the culture to do it. I've even had people say, why even fight? It's a losing battle. I don't know about you, but my kids are worth it. My grandkids are worth it. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, Bob, Second Timothy, chapter one. Let's start reading in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, huh, babe? I am in First Timothy. Here, I'm making a big deal on it. <laughs> that, that's God getting me. That's, that's, that's God getting me. <clears throat> Boy, it sure is nice to be human. Right, 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 right? You know? Good night. No. Second Timothy chapter one. I was in the wrong chapter. <laughs> I think. Let me let me just Yes, it's Second Timothy. Okay. Second Timothy chapter one. <gasps> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the purpose of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being manifold manif and mindful, excuse me, mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lo 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 Lois, <clears throat> excuse me, and thy, I'm trying to read too fast as again, I, I was doing that this morning, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be thou, uh, 
not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and shall call us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has given us in Christ Jesus by the world uh, before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we speak of of this very important topic of facing the giant of our culture, I ask that you would help us, dear God, to see maybe some of the areas in which we have uh, maybe misunderstood or maybe made mistakes in. And Lord, I ask that you would guide and direct as we look at your word tonight. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Timothy grew up in an incredibly wicked culture. The culture of his day is very similar to the culture in which we live today. They were driven by sports. It's it's an amazing thing that in our day of technology that people will miss church to go to sporting events. You know, I'm, I'm already in trouble, so I might as well say it. That's wrong. That, that's just flat wrong. We have people that will miss church to have fun. You know, my wife and I are going to be going on vacation. And for 40 years, periodically, we've gone on vacations. Well, not 40, 30, almost 39 years we've been married. And I cannot recall a vacation that we've ever missed church. We just don't do it. Because the things of God are of vital importance. The society in which he lived in was a promiscuous society. You think ours is? Yeah, don't pass out, right? <laughs> okay. Violence. I, 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 I want to be careful how I say this. Actually, I don't want to be careful because I'm going to say it. I, I, I'm already in trouble. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, October is a horrible month for TV. The, the, the wicked movies, the horror movies that are on in the month of October and in the theaters. 
I, I had a person recently who claims to be a Christian tell me that her secret thing, you know how we all do... What, yeah, guilty. That's it. That's that's what she called it. I I couldn't remember. She her guilty pleasure was horror movies, and I thought, and you claim to be a Christian? There's a disconnect here. Okay. I I had somebody that that movie Twilight came out. Okay, about witches and all that stuff. And and I actually had somebody tell me, oh, but. Oh, vampires. Vampires, that's what it was. Oh, but they're good vampires. <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry, but I, I have trouble with that. I, I'm just in a lot of trouble tonight. That's okay. <laughs> you know, the homosexuality in Rome during this time was rampant. Guess what? And and I, I could go on and on and on, okay? And my, my point is this. Timothy not only grew up in a wicked culture. Now, please get this, because this is really vital to understanding who Timothy is. Timothy grew up in a wicked culture, but also a non-traditional Christian home. He had, if we would call it, everything going against him. You say, what do you mean non-traditional Christian home? We just read that his, his faith was generated by his, mother, uh, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Where is his dad? Where is his grandfather? His faith came from his grandmother and his mother. He did not grow up in a traditional Christian home. He did not have the opportunity to go to church with his dad. He did not have the opportunity to sit and read the Bible with his dad or pray with his dad. Yet God used Timothy in an incredible way in the, in the early church. You can raise godly children in an ungodly culture. You can do it. It starts, number one, real faith is a key to victory. Real faith is a key to victory. Look at verse 5. First, second Timothy, chapter 1. <laughs> Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth first in thy grandmother Lois and thy uh, mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Does anybody have any idea what the word unfeigned means when he says unfeigned faith? Genuine, real, the 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 uh, the actual word is sincere without wax it is sincere it is real it's genuine we have a lot of adjectives that we could use to describe this word 
unfeigned faith or or for for my point tonight real faith it was real it was it was transparent and it's interesting i did i did a little bit of research and i found out that the 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 uh the 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 root word for unfeigned unfeigned comes from the same root word hypocrite Okay, so they share the same root word. Okay, now, now get this, because this, I'm giving you an English lesson here, okay? Okay, actually a Greek lesson. Um, <clears throat> so they share the same root word. So hypocrite and unfeigned or sincere share the same root word. But what makes them different? It is in Greek. It's called a negative prefix. In English, it's the first two letters of the word unfeigned. Un. It is the absolute absolute opposite of hypocrisy. So, in essence, and this is one of the cool things about the Greek language, it is it is absolutely clear in the Greek language because of the negative prefix that Timothy had absolutely no hypocrisy in his, in his faith. Think about that for a second. He was unfeigned. He was sincere. There was not a hint of hypocrisy in the faith of his grandmother, his mother, or in his life. And as I was studying this, I came across that, and I thought, I, I, and I, I have this, the little voice of God speaks to me, and, and it was almost as though God said, can you say that? I think that's a question we all need to ask. See, Timothy had real faith. It was sincere. James chapter 1 and verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And Timothy was anything but double-minded. The faith that Timothy inherited from his mother, he, she got it from her mother. Was a sincere, real faith. It impacted every element of his life. Letter A under this. It was a faith that made a difference. His faith made a difference. Let, 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 look at verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God that is in thee by putting on of my hands. The word stir up there literally means to fan the, fan the flames. Wherefore I put thee to remembrance that thou stir up or fan the flames of the gift of God in your life. See, Timothy's faith, faith made a difference. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in the right in righteousness and true holiness. In in this in this, in this passage, the word "put on," uh, two words "put on," literally means to get dressed. It, it literally means to get dressed, to put on. This evening, when when we pulled up into the parking lot, I reached into the back seat, I grabbed my jacket, and I put it on. That's what that that's what it means. I I put on my jacket. Well, we need to put on the righteousness of God in our lives. There's a choice that Timothy had to make. It was a choice that Timothy made. Not only is it a a faith that makes a difference, it is a faith that removes fear. It is a faith that removes fear. Look at verse 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Last week we looked at facing the giant of fear. And we talked about that a lot. And, and many, you know, many people are enslaved in fear right now. This, this COVID thing has got people scared to death. And, and, and I am not making light of it. Trust me, that, that is not my intention. But the, the reality is this. Who is in control of my life? Some virus or my God? Now, that doesn't mean I need to be careless and stupid. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is my God is in control of my life. Period. Real faith takes away fear. Adoniram Judson was a great missionary of of yesteryears. One of my favorite quotes he 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 made and the, the mission agency that when I was a missionary the mission agency that I uh, was a part of when you walked in the main door right above the main entrance this quote is is on the wall right as soon as you walk in is right there on the wall expect great things from God attempt great things from excuse me <laughs> attempt great things for God expect great things from God Attempt great things for God. Adonai Johnson overcame incredible obstacles of great suffering on the mission field. Unbelievable some of the things that he had to go through. It took Adonai Johnson, now get this, get this. It took 12 years, 12 years before he saw 18 converts. How many of us would have quit and gone home a long time before that? 12 years before he he saw 18 converts. When Adoniram Judson began his mission in Burma, he set a goal to translate the Bible and found or establish a church of a hundred members before he died. By the time of his death, he had accomplished those goals and more, leaving the translated Bible as well as a half-completed Burmese English dictionary, 100 churches, and over 8,000 converts. 
See, real faith removes fear. Do you think that in the time that Adoniram Judson spent in Burma, that there were times of fear in his life? Absolutely there were. He's an incredible uh, uh, person to read about. If you, if you ever want to read about a missionary, he would be one I would recommend. Incredible obstacles, things that he had to go through. Real faith removes fear. Number two, family is a key to victory. Not only is real faith a key to victory, so is family. Family is a key to victory. There is no question, there is no question about the devotion and dedication and love of Timothy's mother and grandmother. There's no question. These two ladies poured into Timothy. There are two things needed to happen in in order to accomplish what these ladies did in the life of Timothy. I want to give you these two things because it's important. Number one, devotion. And get this, because because this this is really, really critical. Devotion. They were first and foremost devoted to God. Because you cannot, it is impossible to propagate real faith unless you have real faith. And if you you want your children to grow up to be people of faith, guess what? You must be a person of real faith. If you have phony faith, Guess what your kids are going to grow up with? They were women of devotion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. When Paul wrote this, was Paul being... um, prideful. Hello? No. What was he saying? He was trying to say, hey, look, as I do my best to follow Christ, you follow me. And that is the exact same thing we should be doing with our families. The the prerequisite is you got to walk with Christ first. The second thing that these ladies gave, and you say, how do you know this? Well, you've got to have devotion in order to be able to pass on devotion. And in order to pass on devotion, you need the second one, and that's time. You need to spend time with your kids. How, do, how, how does a child spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how a child spells love. Jesus spent three years with his disciples loving and teaching his disciples. It takes time to teach and to, to pass on to your children the devotion and how to, how to love God. Children need to be helped 
how to navigate the negative culture that we live in. You cannot expect to throw your kids out into the world and say, have fun and expect them to turn out godly. Let, let, me, let me give it to you in a good southern term. It ain't going to happen. You need to be with them and guide them through the navigating of a negative culture that is anything but godly. It takes time. I have a little, I got a question for you, a little side note. This is a, this is a, a ser- little sermon within a sermon here, okay? <clears throat> Whose responsibility is it to teach your children the things of God? Is it the parents' responsibility or the church's responsibility? Okay, how many of you say parents? Okay, it's the parents' responsibility. Now, the church's responsibility is to come alongside the parents and and, and empower you, to teach you, to give you the tools to do the things that you need to do. But it's not the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Let me read you Deuteronomy. Get this. Okay, Chris, you got this one? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. Okay. And these words which I command thee this day. Now, stop right there. Do you see an interesting word that I just read? Command. God is not suggesting you do this. He is telling you to do this. Which I command you this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk to of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, every moment of every day is an opportunity to teach your children about the things of God. You can go on a walk. And, and you, can, you can see the sunset and you can talk about the gloriousness of God in the sunset. You can walk through a forest and you can point out the, the beauty of nature that God created. Huh? If we had a forest here. You can walk out in the desert and say, see that grain of sand? God made that. <laughs> Seriously. When you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're laying down, every there, there are so many illustrations of God in our lives. We can never... One of the things that... I've told you this before. I hate weather people on the news. I hate them. Every, every, every time they talk, it's a lie. It's a prediction. I understand that. But no, they, they say almost every time I watch the news, they make this statement. Mother Nature said, or Mother Nature is doing, and, and I want to throw something at the TV. That's God. And that is a perfect opportunity for you to talk to your children.
Real faith is a key to victory. Family is a key to victory. And then thirdly, purpose is a key to victory. Look at verse 9. Who has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our purpose and grace which has given us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. God has a purpose and plan for your life. Paul is very clearly here trying to get Timothy to understand that God has a purpose for his life. There is no need to meander your way through life, Timothy. God has a purpose for your life, Timothy. There's no reason to just kind of meander through and allow circumstances to dictate where you go and why you go and and so on and so forth. You know, uh, those of you that know me know that, and I'm saying this on the internet, I hate masks. I hate them. Every time I put it on, I, I just something inside me just crawls. But I do it because not because the governor says so, because it's the right thing to do. And I have decided that I'm not going to let something that I hate dictate how I live. My wife introduced the idea of us traveling to Texas to see the grandbabies several months ago, and I flat out refused because... I would have to wear a mask on the airplane and in the airport and all that stuff. Then I started thinking about it. I'm letting this thing right here dictate my life. You know what? I'm bigger than this. God has a purpose for my life, and it's not this. Now, do I like wearing it? Absolutely not. I have a question for you. Do you believe, because we just read it, that God had a purpose for Timothy's life? Absolutely. Do you believe, let's let's take it a step further, do you believe that God had a purpose for Paul's life? Um, Okay, let's take it it another step further. uh, let's go to the Old Testament. Uh, pick out somebody. Huh? Ruth. Okay. Uh, did God have a purpose for Ruth's life? Absolutely. Okay, let's bring it home. Does God have a purpose for your life? Just as much. And see, way too often what happens is we have a disconnect. Oh, well, th- those are special people. God had special special purposes for those people that's not true god has a purpose for each and every one of us and for some of us it is to be a pastor for some of us it's to be a housewife for some of us it's to be a mechanic or or a truck driver or 
uh, you know, I mean, you name it, a painter, a roofer, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, the list can go on and on and on. But within all of those, we all have purpose. We all have purpose in our lives. And when we lose focus of the fact that my life has purpose, we end up meandering our way through this wicked culture. And we let the culture dictate to us how we're going to live. And we'll never, ever, ever raise godly children that way. You say, but pastor, I don't have any children. You know what? I, I don't, my, my children are grown. But I have grandbabies. And I'm going to do everything in my power to help guide those grandbabies through this wicked culture. And it's only going to be because I'm walking with God, first of all. <clears throat> Letter A. And I, oh, man, I've, I've got to get done. <clears throat> uh, God has a purpose for his children. In verse 8, <clears throat> Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his uh, prisoners, prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of, of God. Let me tell you very quickly what the purpose of his children is to share the gospel. It is our purpose to share the gospel in everything that we do. The president of the college that I went to, his name is Dr. Ron Comfort. He, I went to Ambassador Baptist College, and <clears throat> Dr. Comfort used to say often, God never orders what he cannot pay for. Now, I want that to kind of sink in, because the first few times I heard it, I, 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 it didn't register. God never orders what he cannot pay for. In other words, what he would say in the context that he would say that is he would say, God never puts a burden on your heart that he cannot supply the means in order to accomplish that burden. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think he used to also say it whenever he was in a building program too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say this. If God has a plan for your life, then He is going to give you the power, the ability, the knowledge to accomplish that goal. If you're willing to go. I have friends that... <clears throat> were retired and they spent their retirement traveling from country to country, from country to country to country to country, building houses and, and so on and so for missionaries. That's how they spent their retirement. She just, I got an email a while back about a, about a month ago that she, she, she finally went home to be with the Lord. 
What, what an incredible family. What, a, what an incredible way to spend your retirement. God has a purpose for his children. And then letter B, God has a promise for his children. And th- this to me is exciting. Look at verse 10. And now, but, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has abolished death. We have a promise. We have a promise. That young lady sitting sitting almost where Brian is, <clears throat> one chair over. When she got saved today, death was abolished in her life. What a, what a, what a, what an incredible truth. We have a promise that death has turned into immortality. Let's wind it up. Real faith is a key. Family is a key to victory. And purpose is a key to victory when facing the giant of our culture. That responsibility is to share the gospel. The culture of this world has nothing to offer but emptiness and sadness. We have everything to offer. Christ has abolished death and given us immortality. The victory over our culture only happens in the hearts of everyone who accepts Jesus Christ. We can raise godly children in this culture. Timothy is a wonderful example of somebody who grew up in a in an incredibly difficult culture, in an incredibly difficult home. I can imagine the the pull up between an unsaved dad and a saved mom pulling him, trying to get him to go the ways of the world. I can I can see that happening. It happens in our churches. It's happened in, in, in our families. I've had friends, personal friends, who've, who've had to deal with it. But yet Timothy was a man of real faith. You can do it. You can fight the culture. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.